when you think about the true client you're trying to attract, and especially if one of the criteria for who you're trying to attract is a positive money mindset, Mm -hmm. they are going to pay whatever they need to pay and invest in in order to achieve the results on the other side of whatever it is you are selling. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I am sitting down with a really good friend today, Kareen Walsh. Now, I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Kareen is a serial entrepreneur. I mean, she has accomplished so much in her life already. She's an executive coach for huge corporations and for startups and solopreneurs as well. And she's a business growth strategist. She's the author of the best-selling book, Lead with Value. And we're going to talk about how to lead in a crisis economy as we all navigate these uncertain times. Now, I know Kareen very well because she's one of the most successful people in our elite level mastermind. She's been in there for a few years, actually. And when I want advice on strategy, for example, when Lori was opening up this new company of hers, uh, whenever we want to launch a new project... We go to Kareen. She is one of the minds that we turn to. She is one of the most brilliant strategists I have ever met. And so we're going to pick that brain of hers, so to speak, and talk about how the workforce is changing for the solopreneur, for anybody who's been sent home from work to work from home in that type of situation. As a matter of fact, she has a work from home code of conduct that she shares. I think you're going to find really valuable given the times. We're also going to discuss work-life integration and what you can do to make sure that one or the other is not suffering. And one of my favorite things is we share an ethos of generosity. As Kareen sets aside a percentage of all of her sales to go to charity. And she teaches you in this episode a few tips on how you can do the same thing if that moves you to do so. Now, if you want to join seven-figure earners like Kareen and many other people in order to lock arms for an entire year with me, and our tribe, and find those like-minded entrepreneurs that get you, that understand how you think, that understand why you dream as big as you do or the way that you do, if you feel like you can't find those people in your normal life. And if you're looking for a room where every single thing that you need to be successful is in that room or one introduction away, then I want you to join us. I want you to go fill out the application at fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind in order to get on the waiting list. Pretty soon, we'll be opening up that waiting list again and start doing interviews for the next year's uh, batch of entrepreneurs that we're going to help guide and lock arms with. So if you make more than $500,000 a year, the room is mostly seven-figure earners. But if you make more than $500,000 a year, go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind and get on that mastermind waiting list. It'll literally change your life. All right, guys, get ready because this episode is full of so much valuable knowledge. Kareen is just a wealth of knowledge in so many areas. I know you're going to walk away from this one a more successful person. So get ready, because here we go. Kareen Walsh, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
Oh, I'm doing really well, Chris. Thank you. No, thank you for being on. So uh, we are going to talk all things crisis economy because you have so much experience with so many different types of businesses from the solopreneur to huge corporations. But before we dive into that, I start all my shows with rapid fire. It's a fun way for my listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And then if something really good comes up, I promise you we will circle back around and do a deep dive on it. You in? Sounds great. All right. Real easy. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in the New York area. And where do you live now? I now live in Connecticut. And just for the record, she sends me homes trying to recruit me to, to move to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I totally do, man. <laughs> Beautiful homes too. All right. What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, um, you could always be where you are today. Oh, I love that. So why not try? I love that. What is um, one of your superpowers? I I see things super clearly in order to help people jump into action. That is totally a superpower. What is one of your favorite books? Um, Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And what is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments thus far? My all-time favorite accomplishments, I would say, was publishing my second book under um, under the conversation you and I had two years ago, uh, almost two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really big accomplishment. And you did that in like no time. Like I think you said it in a like three months. Writing and publishing <laughs> record with that. Oh, and that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Two more things. What is something generous you've done recently? One main thing I well recently did as the year ended um, was donating ten thousand dollars to Lunch on Me mm. through Larea, you know, because you introduced me to Larea, yes. um, and so that was really cool. And then recently, most recent is the continuous campaigning I do for No Kid Hungry and making sure kids are getting meals during this time. I cannot wait to circle back around and have a conversation about that. And last but not least, what are you grateful for today? You know, I'm really grateful that my husband and I moved back here to Connecticut and that we're going through this time in isolation and, you know, what's happening with COVID 19 in this house that we're in because I feel like I live in a tree house and, but I'm also like arm's length away from family if I need to get to them. So I'm really grateful for that. What a great answer. What a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today, especially coexisting under one roof during this situation. Yeah. (laughs) Before we go there, could you just start by giving us an idea of what you do for companies in a normal economy? So we could just set the stage for everybody. Sure. Yeah. So I have a, a, I'd say two segmented business. One is my consulting side. Where as a growth strategist, I'm hired by C-suite leaders to come in and I assess people, process, and technology and hyper-focus on leadership in the middle. And this approach came from my years of being executive in different sized companies that allowed me to leverage practices, tools, methodology, um, shine as a leader myself and then take those practices now in and out of different companies to do that uh, is is the consulting arm of my business. I then realized that so many other people were coming to me for coaching and advice on on how to not only build their careers, but then also build and establish their businesses. So I started to work with startups and I started to um, really have one-on-one coaching uh, activities with C-suite leaders to help them in the environments that they're in really thrive. 
And I've merged the two under one umbrella, which is me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that umbrella. (laughs) I've I've got a question. This this comes up. You're one of the very few people I know that can actually coach C-suite executives of billion-dollar companies, but also the the solopreneur who's just kind of starting their business effectively. Why do you think that you can effectively coach both of those people? Most people can only lean one way or the other. I I feel that I... I keep it simple, honestly, Chris. Like, I feel like the practices are the same. The difference is the mindset around what you believe you can achieve. And so, my approach is you know, I can go learn the how. I'm a master of the how, I can get the how done. But then, tapping into whether it's an entrepreneur who is just starting out and really wants to lean into what they believe they need to put out into the world. They still need to have the same traits, understanding, and performance as a C-suite leader running a trillion-dollar company. Uh, It's the same. It goes back to the individual. And then it's about figuring out how we get whatever they need done. So I, I think it works because I truly apply the same methods to both both arenas. It's just a matter of working with the individual to realize what they're capable of and going after it. I love it. That makes so much sense to me. You know, when I introduce you to people, I I always say that you're one of the most brilliant business strategists I know. Like strategy is your thing. And before you mentioned um, people, process, and technology is what you assess and then work a company through. Is one of those more important than another? No, I think they all integrate. They all have to integrate. They all have to cross lines with each other. The importance is actually how it's all led in the middle. So leadership, the people side, you know, uh, comes up into leadership. But if you can imagine three circles intersecting people, process, and technology, in the middle of that intersection is leadership. And so even if I have to do team staffing, people staffing, or build a tech stack, or decide on what technology comes into a company, or outline the how they get it done through process, none of it will work without that intersection of leadership. Wow. And so that's where the focus tends to be in order to disseminate the how. That makes so much sense. And so if somebody can master leadership, those other things are going to come into play a lot easier. How has this shifted? Now I really want to talk about the, the economy that we're facing. How yeah. has this shifted? People, process, and technology in the face of this crisis economy that we're all going through together right now when you're working with whether it's a solopreneur or the head of a billion dollar company? So how has leadership shifted? It, it, we're being asked to do a lot right now from a very small confined space, which is our home for most, for most companies. Mm-hmm. Some companies who are actually allowed to be working and operating have a different type of strain going on where they have to make sure that they are leading in a way that their teams are on the front line or not burning out. What has, what has shifted the most is that the lens of people, process, and technology is even more heightened right now on how well it's integrated. The companies that are unable to sustain during this time is that they never really thought of contingency planning to make sure they're operational in a crisis. And I'll tell you, Chris, what's really interesting in, when I was thinking about this and I started to put um, talks and materials together for people to leverage my... 20 years, which is crazy to me that I've had 20 years in technology. <laughs> but 
I literally started my first job out of college, like my second, maybe it was my second job out of college was building business resumption plans for the credit card processing at one of the major brand, uh, banks. So banks always have to stay up and running. And I was exposed to this early on in my career. So I feel like that exposure and then all the other things I've done in tech and the teams I've run, I always have to think of what happens in a crisis. How do we keep operational in a crisis? How do we lead through it in a crisis? And I and so I almost feel like this time is the time that I was groomed to shine within and help others because I have literally been thinking about these things for a very long time. And uh, putting in the right framework, I think, is what's important right now. It's hard when you're in crisis to respond to the crisis without a plan. And I think that's what a lot of companies and businesses are going through. And what I love about the talks you've been doing is that you're encouraging people to lean into getting lean in their operations and optimizing how they operate as a company, as their expenses and their cash flow. And then also getting innovative. Like this is a time where certain companies have slowed down because consumption has slowed down. You need to then lean into how do you innovate to meet the demand that's about to come. And you've been talking about that as well. And I, and I love that that's the topic you're allowing your audience to, to start discussing with you. It's because if we can lean into innovation right now, if leaders can get their teams or even groups of their clients together and start asking, what are your needs? What else can we be doing? How best can we serve you? And then ask the question of, well, now how can we do it remotely outside of the office or um, in a different operational structure and leveraging this time to really update your processes, how you manage, how you're going to lead it, what you're going to deploy and do to serve and provide for your client base, you will be 10 steps ahead from any other company that is waiting to think that they can go back to what was normal before. Okay. So I got to ask you about the solopreneur that's listening. They probably did not have a contingency plan. They were not preparing for a crisis uh, economy. That's, that's the bulk majority of the listener. Maybe somebody has two or three team members, very small businesses. What yeah. are some specific things they can do right now to survive uh, while they're sitting there intimidating, say, intimidated saying, what the hell do I do? Yeah. So you know, you have to really know your client. So number one is audit your offering and understand what is your client in need of right now. And is anything from your offering float to the top that they would say an immediate yes to because they really need it right now? I think we tend to shy away from sharing our gifting in a time of crisis because we're in fear of how we're being received. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that even just last week, because I, I knew that my client base, my, my coaching client base and the solopreneurs, entrepreneurs that I work with needed something. And they also needed it to come to them in a way that was a nurturing... Um, method, right? Like they would be welcomed into something I put together that they can join me and do. So I had to get creative and say, of my list of services, am I able to provide something to the demand that I am hearing that meets my standard operations, like something I already do already? I just have to leverage it and tweak it to hit the demand that I'm hearing. And then also assess it at a price point that makes sense for this time as well. And I'm not saying undersell 
myself. I have gifted a lot of things out of my time recently. But if you're really trying to sustain a revenue stream, sustain an income, sustain your presence, top of mind attitude in the market, you have to listen and serve your clients first to then discover what next can you offer them in order to stay in business. The other thing too, Chris, that I've been talking to folks about is leverage partnerships. So a lot of the times, and I'm, I'm going through a few partnerships right now. And what I mean by that is there are services I provide. Like when I talk about people, process, and tech, that's a lot, right? Like that's a lot for... And I know my demand is going to go up for me because of my expertise, right? So I'm already starting to partner with other people who have expertise in each of those arenas so that I can extend my reach further, but also help one of my fellow colleagues in building business together. That's another area for some of these solopreneurs who've been trying to hustle and do it all by themselves. What's a service that complements yours that maybe you can partner with someone and double your size of network to approach and come up with a joint offering where you're both earning during this time? That is fleeping awesome advice. I love it. And anybody can do that. I want to go back to the pricing thing. There's a big debate right now. Do you drop all your prices? Do you slash all your prices because less people have money? Or do you hold tight and just get better with your bonuses and your messaging? You know, I think there's strategies around all of it. It really depends on what your client base is used to and who you're trying to attract, right? Like a, a discount buyer is always going to buy at a discount, right? Yep. Right? Like that's just a behavior of that client type. When you think about the true client you're trying to attract, and especially if one of the criteria for who you're trying to attract is a positive money mindset, mm-hmm. they are going to pay whatever they need to pay and invest in in order to achieve the results on the other side of whatever it is you are selling. So like for example, my corporate clients who are um, unfortunately having to go through layoffs at this time, I know my consulting side is going to rise up because they're going to need augmented help in delivering against their strategy for this, this year. Once they start to get the momentum again. And there's going to be trepidation about hiring full-time. So I know that I need to service that. I'm going to be charging the same rates because it's, it's part of my business and it's part of my brand. And, it's, and I will try to negotiate different rates down to help them or extend the budget or find other strategies to deliver. But it would be tarnishing my reputation if I started to slash my value and what I know I need to earn to stay in business to sustain the demand coming to me. So it really depends. Who's your client? How are they buying? What are they looking for? And continue to deliver in that method versus cutting yourself short or cutting yourself at the needs just to get any business. Karina, that's a risk. such a good answer. Because... In your example, you're going to hold tight or even maybe go up in your pricing because you're going to be more in demand. So the short of your answer was know your audience and know what supply and demand looks like for what you are offering. That's how you make the decision. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So you mentioned something in that explanation right there. You talked about um, people are going through a crisis with what to do with their teams, their employees. And you know that you're going to be in demand because that's an area where you specialize. You you specialize companies in managing their human capital or in other words, just their people. So how do, in a time like this, 
how do companies balance cash flow and staying alive versus wanting to keep their team members employed and keep them paid? Yeah, it's a really hard time for leaders out there, especially those in the large companies that have a huge amount of staff to manage. Because what, un- and you've been through this too, Chris, like when there's the crisis, right? The layoffs happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the financial part of this equation that you're talking about, unfortunately, human capital is now part of a financial equation every single year. Mm. Like I don't know one billion dollar company that doesn't use and it it actually pisses me off. So uh-huh. <laughs> I will I, I I might get a little red on this one. But, <laughs> but, I like it. but what 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 I couldn't stand that I've seen is starting to happen as a behavior is that staffing has become so inflated in certain companies to so-called get shit done. And no one is truly paying attention to operational optimization and managing the finances in a way to ensure that people can stay employed during times like this. So in my mind, and in the way I've seen companies run, is that um, the finances of it all are dictating how human capital is, is leveraged. And it's unfortunate because then what you're leaving um, your company with is an uncertainty of whether or not their expertise has actually been valued and or um, growing, like invested in, in the right way. It is a privilege to have a job in any company. It is also a privilege to run a company and build it in a way that's sustainable. And obviously, markets are going to hit us at different times through different crises. But the human capital side, what isn't taken into the equation is the emotional hit that happens every single time the financial side has to make these type of hard decisions. And fortunately, I think that we have room for innovation in the, in the human resources space in how we build up human capital to continue to be leveraged from an expertise standpoint and help people grow. But I think that it's really hard for companies um, when they see consumption drop, which is what has happened to most in the non-essential companies that are, that are um, out there. When consumption drops and the market requires them to perform a certain way to keep their stocks active in a public company especially, then that means they have to cut their um, big chunks of financial spend. And unfortunately, the easiest one to cut immediately is the human capital part. And it makes me sick. Like, I, I don't know how you react to that, but it's really hard to know that that's a lever that any company can use in order to sustain, and I'm using my quotation hands, mm-hmm. financial liquidity in their business. You know, I've never heard anybody talk about the way you did, almost like, I'm going to use my words irresponsible hiring practices or lazy hiring practices like, um, hey, we're busy. Hire someone else. Hey, we're busy. Hire someone else with no future thought of in a down cycle, will I be affecting lives by having to let them go? Yeah. It's and, it's, and, and there's so much talent in those... It, when those like, the excessive hiring happens, because I've been on all sides of it, right? Like I've been in the startup environment that gets their fund of run, uh, funding, their second round of funding and all of a sudden it's like scale scale scale. Yep. And it's like wait, hold on. Like what are we scaling to? What do the operations need to be to scale to that? Now what's the expertise we need? 
And is anybody on our staff already have that expertise? Have we, have we leveraged our capital that we have already? Because that's the number one question I, I have yet to see people ask when there's trying to scale, so-called scale. And it's because there is no people strategy that aligns with the business strategy in a way that truly is speaking to expertise. And I think that's the shift that's going to happen now because the recovery of all the jobs lost and the ne- that are going to be lost in the next few months is going to force these companies to think about how do we you know, structure things going forward? And how do we actually take care of the, the team that is so-called um, asked to stay? Yeah. Right. Like there are complacency that happens with people who who um, are not taken care of within a company is human debt within a company, and that's the that's the hardest part to keep. And then you have those who are overworking and extending themselves with amazing expertise that also feel like, well, now what? They're on that burnout track. Where are they going? Who's taking care of them? So there's a lot to be done, I believe, on the people side of all business. Uh, in order to not only prepare for crisis, but also to receive praise through it all and really grow, like personally grow in these environments and be leveraged in all areas. Wow. Okay. So let's take this a step further. The ones that are lucky enough to stay and that don't get cut, they're being sent home right now because of coronavirus to work under one roof, in many cases (laughs) with another spouse that was sent home to work under one roof. And uh, a couple of kids that also need to be homeschooled, right? And this is a stress in every single household, at least in the US right now. Now you have been an expert in, and so now it's just applicable to the times that we live in, work-life integration and really setting yourself up for success from building a company from a remote location or from home. So what are your tips for making this work? I love this, Chris, because I think so many people have kind of gone through a shock of having to work from home. You have two different personalities generally that show up when those, when the, if someone has used to having to leave the home to do their job and then come back home to have their home life, they're generally two different personalities. It's the one that you see in the office and then the one that you see at home because you haven't had to show your work side at home. You had a threshold you could cross in order to determine what version of you shows up. Well, now it's all merged at home. And the reason why I've been calling it work-life integration for a long time because I think it's it it that the integration part is how you show up in it all. Mm-hmm. And now your arenas have been combined at home. So the tips I have for those who have never done it before, just starting to do it, plus the fact that they're having to be the school teacher on top of their full-time job, on top of having a relationship at home, on top of trying to you know, maintain their mind and, and body <laughs> through it all. It's a lot, right? Yeah. Like That's a lot under one roof. So number one is determining the code of conduct that now needs to happen at home. Whoa, and what I mean by this. that... Yeah. So your code of conduct is something I do when I actually fil- facilitate and build new teams, right? When, when I go into corporations and I'm like, okay, guys, how are we going to operate together? And generally, they have remote people, on-site people, etc. All different personalities coming together to achieve a common goal, which is deliver something, right? We establish a code of conduct. If you can now apply that at home, you're now a new team. 
right? Your family unit has now been infiltrated with school and business. So what the hell is the code of conduct you all are going to follow to operate at home (laughs) and actually keep sane and be able to communicate and understand each other when you're having your highs and lows and not take it personally and know you're all under stress. Like When shit hits the fan, how are you going to actually respond to it? There's a code of conduct that needs to be defined and determined. And, I, and it's something like answering the questions of, okay, where's my workspace? Where's my play space? Where's my recharging space in the home for every single family member? When we want to have play time or fun time or family time, what does that look like? So that when I... Am I wearing a specific colored shirt so that you know that it's working hours for me? And then I change so that I that you know it's playtime hours for wow. me. Wow. I would have never it's thought like of co- that. It's like code of conduct, right, Chris? This is really cool. So it's like hanging that on-air sign outside of a studio when you're recording. It could be as simple as when I'm wearing a black shirt, that means I'm in the zone and I'm working. Please don't come sit down and treat it like we're in a family room. Yeah, or backwards hat, front-facing hat. Like some sort of signal because kids don't understand the work version of you. I'm thinking about those families, right? Yeah. And 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 they only know the family version of you. It's very rare that kids see the business side. And if they have, it's been in the periphery. It's like I have to go take this phone call and you kind of step away. In this case and most most of these homes, there isn't enough space to step away. You're all in each other's faces. And if you do have the luxury of space, it still doesn't mean you're going to go uninterrupted because you're at home. That's your home. Now your work has infiltrated your home. So you need to integrate the activities, the communication. And the same goes for the kids for school. When is school hours? When is home and play hours? That's also merged and it's confusing. No matter what age your kids are at, even the like the high school and the college kids who are gaming like crazy mm-hmm. when they could be learning new things or interacting or connecting in a way and getting creative like you have to put a code of conduct in place in order to operate well at a, at home but truly work life integration is also understanding yourself understanding when i'm under stress this is how i react this is where i go in order to recharge this is where I go to just shut it down, you know, <laughs> like and be able to communicate that with those you're with in order to function at a higher level during this time. This is so awesome. So everything from certain parts of the home, what they represent to yep. certain times of the day, like what are the containers, to signals, what shirt am I wearing, what color am I wearing, how am I wearing my hat? All of these things have to be like set up and discussed in order for this to be successful. Because what I think most households are doing, it's reactionary. It's like, babe, can't you see that I'm in my office? Or um, kids, can't you see that mom's on the phone? And they're just, they're, they're grasping at straws, hoping that finally somebody catches on. It's so true. And then and then it becomes resentful and and it maybe it worked for the first like three or four days of being home together. But now we're and at this point in this recording, we're at we're at like week four for certain areas. And then by the time it airs, it's gonna be, you know, another few weeks. Like your 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 normal is now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like your normal is right now. So make it as as normal as you need it to be or as integrated as you need it to be to thrive right now. 
Stop waiting for some initiation later where someone else tells you when you can do whatever it is you need to do. Take control of it right now and communicate with each other right now. We all have different ways we react to stress and we react to a crisis. And the the sooner we understand our reactions to it, the faster we can disseminate the stress level and bring fun back into the home and, and have more excited conversations and go on walks together or figure out, you know what, we need this time out. Like you're, you and Lori are one of the largest proponents for discipline, mm-hmm. right? And making yep. sure that your self-care comes first and the discipline around your hours. You have your amazing code of conduct at home because yeah. you've been working from home and had work-life integration for a long time now. Those are the tips and the tools people need to leverage in order to really come out of this thriving. It's a really fascinating example. I never thought of, thought of it as a uh, code of conduct. It's just like, here's the non-negotiables. Here's how yep. we thrive. Let's make sure we don't skip them. That's really brilliant. Okay, so last place I want to take you is this. And you've done such a brilliant job of, of just like guiding us through this crisis economy. But now I want to talk about generosity in a crisis economy because you said uh, one of your passions is making sure that you are leaning into no kid hungry as one of the causes that's really important to you. Talk to me about giving in an economy where you're you know, financially afraid that restriction might take place. You know, I learned a, a while ago through my own you know, financial navigation, Chris, that if I'm in a giving energy, I receive 10 times back in return. And it's something that I lean into, whether it's venturing into a new business, sometimes it's giving of my time. It doesn't always have to be financially, but I know my value of my time. You know, at my rate, that is in itself its own investment forward, its own pay it forward, because I know the return back to me will be tenfold. So in this time where people are feeling like they might be sitting in loss or they might not be able to earn enough or they might be um, scared that they're not going to have anything in the bank later, it is a really critical time to get generous. Whether it's with your time, whether it's with your stuff, like you, you go through a cleansing at the house and you need to donate things. There's so many more people in need, especially um, kids right now in the school system, which is why I am leaning into No Kid Hungry, is they're making sure that kids who don't necessarily get food at home, they rely on the school food programs to eat, need meals. And for each, um, I think it is for each dollar, it's 10 meals. Oh, wow. And so it's a really... I've been I've been working with No Kid Hungry for years. Uh, I make sure that I have a portion of what I earn that goes um, to that organization because of I don't you know kids have no other choice right like they can't choose to go and work in order to feed themselves and so for me knowing the abundant life I'm in to know that I'm helping children get meals right now especially in those households where their family has lost their jobs and might not be able to feed themselves at least some food is coming in for their children. Kareen, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about next is you give a percentage of all your sales to No Kid Hungry. You always have. Yeah. What about in an economy like this? How do you structure that from the beginning? And how do you choose what that percentage is going to be, especially for someone who wants to have a giving component attached to their sales or to their business in the beginning, but they're just getting started out? How do you structure that so that in a good economy, a bad economy, just starting or several years into it, it mathematically works out to not hurt the company. 
Well, what, the way I look at it is um, similar to what you shared on one of your episodes recently, which is going through your own um, you know, financial in- inventory. Like, where am I spending? Right. And when I look at that, if I can get leaner in an area in order to continue to stay generous and to continue to stay gifting, um, I'd rather make that decision than potentially pay for something I might not be using right now in my business. So part of it is, a, is like the cost analysis. Can I be transferring some of that funding into a give back model versus the investment in my business? That's one. When I design new offerings or if I think about the earnings that I make, I always make sure that my costs are covered first when I am designing a product or designing a service or designing what that offering is. I I look at the margin and I look to make sure that costs are covered. And I will shave off the margin earning in order to make sure that I also am being generous and I can give back. Because like I said, as, as... the energy flows right as if i am giving 10 times comes back to me it's just it's it should be in any market i guess chris like it's it you know that's the formula i use i always make sure that there's a portion of my earnings that goes into it and i'd rather have a lower margin knowing that i've gifted in return mm, i love that okay where can we find you where can we follow you so all things, Kareen is at kareenwalsh.com. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram at Kareen Z as in Zebra Walsh. Um, so it's K-A-R-E-E-N Z as in Zebra W-A-L-S-H. If you want to see more of my kind of daily updates on Instagram, I'm a big LinkedIn user. So if anyone is listening that either, either is a company that really wants to hire expertise, expert talent or a leader that wants to really increase performance um, or even just get connected with a solid network of people. LinkedIn is a great place. And that's um, Kareen Walsh also. You can find me there. Um, but truly, Chris, also I want to make sure your listeners have the work from home tips that we talked about because there was a few more. I have a resource page on my website if your listeners want to go to and download my latest guide on the top three tips to work from home. And that's kareenwalsh.com slash resources. And you can grab um, that guide too if that helps during this time. Those tips were so good. kareenwalsh.com forward slash resources. That's right. I love it. Okay. Thank you for making that available. Last question for you. Why should people be unapologetic? And I'm going to add, even in an economy like this, about their pursuit of success. You only live once and this is your time to thrive regardless of circumstance that might be dictated around you. How you show up in it is what matters most. And I believe being unapologetic about it gets you there even faster. I love it. I love everything you shared. I love the work from home tips. I love the tips on what to do with your people and especially the tips on how to give in any single economy, whether we're thriving or whether things have gotten a little bit skinny like they have for a lot of people right now. Kareen, I can't thank you enough for being on. This was so awesome. And I know everybody's going to appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. As always, I enjoy our conversations. Completely my pleasure. 
Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.